The following is a sermon from the Edgington Evangelical Presbyterian Church in Taylor Ridge, Illinois. Well, it's time to open God's Word together, and we are opening together to the book of Numbers in chapter 6 in the Old Testament. That is on page 114 of your Pew Bible, and this morning we are concluding our fall sermon series on reverence and awe, the beauty of Christian worship, and we are going to close that series in the way we close our worship services by looking at this thing that we call the benediction. And my sincere hope is that as we look at a benediction, we will really understand more of the grace that is endowed to us by our God in this benediction as we understand it from the book of Numbers in the Old Testament and chapter 6. Before we get to that, uh, I, I was thinking about this, uh, this aspect of how we close our worship services, and uh, it made me think of, of all the gatherings that you likely attended over this past weekend, the gatherings that you will attend in the upcoming month, and social gatherings, and friends, and families. We do this unique thing in the Midwest that has taken on its own name, and I call it, and you might call it this as well, the Midwestern Goodbye. Okay, do you know what I'm talking about? The Midwestern goodbye, where you say goodbye like 10 times before you actually leave, right? You sit at the table, and you're like, oh, we should really go, and you start saying goodbye, right? You start putting on your coat, you say goodbye again, you say goodbye at the door, you say goodbye as you're walking out the door, you say goodbye in the driveway, you get in the car, you roll down the window and say goodbye again, you're driving away, and you're you know, we do this thing, right? The Midwestern goodbye, where it is this, you know, drawn out version of uh, leaving and going away. Uh, oftentimes, there's no clear point of transition where we walk out the door and go. But it could be rude, potentially, right? Uh, but there is something to a clear and definitive word of closing, a clear and definitive word of parting, where we go from where we have been, and in the context of our worship services, we don't have a Midwestern goodbye. We have a very clear and concise moment in which we announce the departure as we go with a blessing, and that is what the benediction is for. So we're going to spend uh, this time in number six looking at this thing that we call a benediction and trying to understand it from the original benediction in Numbers chapter six. The first benediction, if you like, from Numbers chapter six. And so let's pray together, and we will read God's word and seek to understand what the benediction is all about. Let's pray. Oh Lord, our God, we thank you for your word. We believe that this is uh, not merely a word from men, but rather the word of God. And because it is, Lord, we believe it is alive and active and powerful and spiritual, inspired by your Holy Spirit. And so, Lord, as you gave us this word, help us to receive the word with with knowledge, with understanding, with illumination. Rest upon our minds and upon our hearts to receive the things that you have written with faith, we pray, as we grow in understanding. In the name of Christ our Lord, amen. And this is Numbers and chapter 6 in verses 22 through 27, the blessing of Aaron. Hear the word of God. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel, 
you shall say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel and I will bless them. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God abides forever. And we will uh, linger on Numbers chapter 6 to understand what God has said to us here. And so we're thinking about the idea of the benediction. You see it in your bulletin every Sunday. It is the closing word and then follows the closing hymn. And the worship service is over. Uh, when I was growing up as a kid, the idea was getting to the benediction as fast as possible so you could get out the door. And on a day like today, you might be thinking, trying to avoid the weather, we need to get to the benediction. But I want us to linger on this idea of uh, what is the benediction and what is it for? Uh, because I, I have experienced a, a very deep amount of meaning and significance in studying the reality of the benediction and hope, hoping together that we see something more of the glory of God in our worship services in, in this what seems to be often a passing element that we might not think deeply enough about. Uh, but the word benediction, it comes from two words together, uh, meaning good and words or good sayings. The word benediction comes from bene and desere in Latin. And so the word benediction means good words. It is a, uh, a blessing, a word of uh, a blessing to God's people in the closing of the worship services. And maybe you have been in different kinds of churches where the benediction is issued in, in different ways. I certainly have. Um, I haven't seen it done this way, but I know of uh, ministers who pronounce the benediction while they recess out and they will literally lay their hands upon the heads of the congregation as they walk out. Now, inevitably, only the people in the aisle get touched, so I'm sure that uh, people maybe move away if they don't want to be touched. I've never done this. I don't necessarily plan on doing this, so uh, no fear, those of you who sit in the aisle, but that's one way we see benedictions pronounced in terms of an actual physical contact upon the heads of God's people, blessing them as the service closes. Uh, I've been in other churches. In fact, the church I grew up in, the tradition was that the minister would recess and actually pronounce the benediction from the back of the church so that as you looked forward, you did not see any human so as to keep your focus on God himself, who is the one literally pronouncing the benediction through the minister, so the minister would go away and out of the sight of God's people. Uh, but I always found that to be a little bit strange, uh, perhaps because I heard the person didn't see where they were. Um, but that's one way. But most typically we see and what we do here in this church is that we'll find the, the minister or someone in an ordained capacity pronouncing the benediction from the front, right? The most normal way. Well, what's this all about? And why do we do it? And uh, how in the world can you get a whole sermon out of the idea of the benediction in the first place? Uh, but in actual fact, the, the New Testament is filled with benedictions and they're based all off of the one that we're seeing here in Numbers chapter 6. But if you want to just write a few of these down and look at them later on, Romans chapter 15, verse 13 closes with a benediction. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. 
These benedictions are found at the close of letters to be a closing word of blessing to the people of God. Or like 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. That's called the apostolic benediction, one of the most common ones. And of course, there are others, like in Hebrews chapter 13, 1 Peter chapter 5, Jude verse 24. These are benedictions, closing blessings to the people of God. But as I said, Numbers chapter 6 is the original one. Numbers chapter 6 is the first benediction that we find formally in the scriptures. And again, it is one that's probably very familiar to us. The words, the Lord bless you and keep you, make his countenance rise upon you, give you peace, etc. These are familiar words. But uh, before we dive into the, the meaning of this ironic blessing, not ironic, but ironic, the priest of Aaron, um, we want to understand something of the context in which Aaron would say these words. What is happening here in Numbers chapter 6 is uh, an instruction to the next generation of Israelites that as they gather for worship, as they present their sacrifices, as they worship God, that this would be the closing word for the worship services. And so what has happened before this is that the people have brought their lambs, have brought their rams, have brought their doves, they've brought their animal sacrifices, and the priest has sacrificed the animals upon the altar in such a way to communicate to the people of God that their sins are covered. A blood atonement has been made so that you, as the people of God, now have peace with God and the assurance that your sins have been covered. And in order to communicate that reality to the people of God, at the close of the worship service, the priest would come and pronounce this word of blessing, this word of peace, as the final element of that dramatic service in which the people of God have been in God's presence and have been communicated the grace that they so desperately need to hear. And look, nothing has changed except the nature of the sacrifice. Because when you come, when you come to church, when you sit down in the pew, right, there are all sorts of things that rest upon you, your life, uh, what is behind you in the week, what is ahead of you in the week. You've got things on your mind. You've got discouragement. You've got griefs, frustrations, sorrows, angers, fears. You've got all kinds of things that rest upon you when you come into church. We bring that here. Inevitably, we bring that into our service. But it is in the context of the worship service where we find the most remarkable reality of the whole week. God's people have gathered and God's presence descends in this meaningful way in which the people of God meet together with their God. Something is happening here in incredible fashion. And what we call this is dialogic worship. Dialogue. There is a dialogue between the people of God gathered together and the God who assembles them together in his presence. There is a communication. There is a dialogue in which this drama of redemption is rehearsed so that we can remember who we are and who our God is. Right? God speaks to us and we respond. We speak and God declares back to us. We have done that already in our worship service. Right? The call to worship. God calls us into his presence. And we respond to him. God calls us to confess our sins. And he responds to us a word of assurance and grace. 
Uh, there are some churches that practice the tradition of the passing of the peace, right? Uh, shake hands and, and that's such a thing. Is it a way of communicating to one another that the peace of Christ reigns? And uh, even though we don't do that formally, it's another way of communicating and speaking together. We speak to God in prayer and he responds back to us in the assurance that he hears our prayers. He sits us down to teach us his word and then invites us to rise again in response to that word and commitment and obedience to say, Lord, we want to follow you. And then after we have said that, he sends us out with his word of blessing. This is the dynamic of Christian worship and that's why it's such a beautiful thing. Because these elements of the service are not perfunctory and meaningless or purposeless. They are deeply significant. And when we understand what God is saying to us in each element and what we are supposed to be saying to him in response in each element, every aspect of the service takes on this deeper meaning. And so then the benediction is the closing word on that covenantal assembly of God's people where they have spoken and he has responded and he has spoken and we have responded. This is what we are doing. Now I want you to notice that in the text. This point of emphasis is that God is the one who is speaking here. So in your text in verses 22 to verse 27, five times in six verses, Verse 22, 24, 25, 26, and 27, the emphasis is on who? The Lord. It is the Lord. And then especially in the benediction itself, verses 24, 25, and 26, it is the Lord who is doing the blessing. This threefold repetition of the Lord, the Lord, the Lord. Now, how would, how would a Jewish believer receive that? A, a threefold repetition of the name of God to us inspires thoughts of uh, Trinity, God, Father, and uh, Son, Spirit, and Father. Now, but the Jewish person is not thinking about that. When they hear the threefold repetition of God's name, they are thinking about perfection and uh, sinlessness and almighty nature of who God is, the perfection of God's name. The threefold repetition of God's name represented that he is the source of all goodness and life. But we as Christians, as I already said, read the threefold repetition of God's name and think of our triune God. God the Father bless you. God the Son make his face to shine upon you. God the Spirit lift up his countenance and give you peace. We can't help but think of the triune God. But the point of emphasis is on the fact that it is the Lord, the Lord, the Lord who is doing the blessing. And notice in our English text that the translators give us a helpful uh, indication that when Lord is translated with all capital letters, L-O-R-D, when it's all capital, it's because it is using the Hebrew word for the covenant name of God, Yahweh. The covenant name of God, the name that God told his people that they should call him this. God did not tell other people to call him Yahweh. Only his people, only Israel could know him as Yahweh. Other people knew him as the God of the Israelites, just generally speaking. But God told his people, call me this, right? Because you have names that you call people you are in relationship with that other people don't know those names and it doesn't make sense to them. 
But names speak of relationship. And when God says Yahweh to his people, they know that it is their God, the covenant name of God. And think of this God, the same God who called out to Moses from the bush that burned but wasn't consumed. The same God who delivered Israel out of slavery in Egypt with a strong hand and uplifted arm. The same God who led Israel through the wilderness and gathered them together at Mount Sinai and gave them the law. This same God who further reveals himself to us in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. This God, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord. The God who placed the stars in the sky and spreads out the ocean. The God who raises up mountains and casts down valleys. The almighty, eternal, omnipotent, all-seeing, omnipresent God. The only God there is. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The self-existent, covenant-keeping, eternal God. This God. The Lord, that's the emphasis. And notice in verse 27 that it should be possessive and personal and meaningful and relationship focused. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel. This is our God. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel, which is why we oftentimes respond together to the call of worship. He is our God, and we are his people. There is something of identity that is necessary to ingrain in us as God's people. He is our God, not another. This God is ours, and we are his. And so there's something very corporate about that. But notice that the blessing itself, verse 24, 25, 26, that the Lord is doing the blessing and the you, the Lord bless you and keep you, make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. Every time the word you is used, in Hebrew it's not plural, it's singular. Okay? So it is not a plural you. Or as our friends from the South say, y'all, right? This is not the Lord bless all of you. It is singular and personal, right? You. It's not inappropriate then as a Christian believer to read your name into Numbers chapter 6. The Lord bless you and keep you. And what is it that God is promising? And here we want to just see this threefold aspect of the benediction and try to understand more of what God is saying to us here. This, this deeply personal covenant-keeping God is blessing his people with these words and saying this. First of all, in verse 24, the Lord bless you and keep you. The bless and keep. Uh, Israel at this time is a, they, a nomadic people. They wander around and uh, they are not a permanent dwelling place at this time. And as a nomadic people, they are constantly moving in the presence of their enemies who are on the outskirts of the camp. And the idea that they are potentially risking invasion is a constant threat in their minds. Or as agrarian people and livestock keeping people, they are mindful that the shepherd oftentimes has to go out with the flock to watch them to make sure that the enemies who are perhaps encamped uh, over the ridge won't come and snatch up the, the sheep. The shepherd goes out to watch over and protect the sheep, to guard and protect. And when God says, the Lord bless you and keep you, he is speaking a word of security to your life. Security. 
That is to say that God is watchful over you. I think sometimes people are tempted to think that God is somehow asleep at the wheel when it comes to my life. It's not true. He is watchful. He is mindful. He is keeping guard over you. This, this word in Hebrew for bless uh, comes from a word barak, which means to adore. Or we have seen here in a fuller translation, to adore on bended knee. When God comes to bless you, he comes in this posture of bended knee with blessing to you. And it seems strange, right, that the Almighty would bow before the lesser. But the idea of God blessing us is the idea of him condescending to be gracious and kind and merciful. Think of the blessings that God has given you. The Lord bless you. Did you try to count your blessings this past week? You didn't get very far, did you? You can't count them. You might as well uh, count the ounces of ocean water. You might as well number the stars. You might as well try to think about all the hot times your heart has beaten in your life. You will sooner count the stars than be able to number all the ways that your God has been good to you. Think about all that's ours in Christ as the Lord blesses us. The forgiveness of our sins, the supplication of our needs, the consolation of our heart, preparing us for eternal glory. All these things are the blessings that are ours in Christ. And God says, the Lord bless you, and the Lord has blessed you. The Lord keep you to guard and protect, which is a uh, reminder to us of what Jesus prayed for us in John Chapter 17 in the high priestly prayer, Heavenly Father, keep them in your name. Keep them in your name. Which again reminds us of Romans chapter 8 when Paul asked the question, what shall separate us from the love of God? And the answer, of course, is nothing. The Lord bless you and the Lord keep you. The fullness of blessing and protecting to you. Secondly, in verse 25 and 26, Lord, make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you and lift up his countenance upon you. Uh, that might seem strange. Um, the idea of God's face, the idea of, of God radiating and shining upon us. Uh, we call these things in the text, um, the fancy word for them is anthropomorphisms. Anthropomorphisms, uh, words that God uses to accommodate our understanding, to speak on our level. So we, we speak of God's face, but God the Father is a spirit. He has no face. But we speak of God's face as if to represent to us the idea of God looking upon us. And it makes the most sense to think about God looking upon us if we speak of God's face. And so the Bible says God turns his face towards us and his face lights up, his, his face shines. All right, I got to see my nephew for the first time in a couple of months. And when I, when I saw him, my face lit up. I'm so happy to see him, right? And when you see someone you haven't seen for a while and your face radiates and you're delighted. And, and can you imagine that the Bible says that, that God looks upon you that way? Psalm 80, verse 3, 7, and 19 says, Let your face shine upon us. God's face lights up when he looks upon you. That's something. 
When he looks upon you and his son and consider the, the radiating light of the glory of the sun in the center of the universe and the creator is greater than the creation and for as brightly hot as the sun burns, the father himself radiates joy to look upon his people. That's, that's a beautiful thought. It is his disposition towards his people to be favorable and kind and merciful and think of, think of the fact that this is Aaron who is being instructed to give this blessing. The priest Aaron, who maybe if you remember from the book of Exodus, Aaron was the one chiefly responsible for the whole debacle with the golden calf. He was the one who said, yeah, sure, let's do that. Sounds good. After all that God had done, Aaron, Moses' brother, the chief priest, the high priest, is the one who said, yeah, we should do that. And here now Aaron is declaring to the people of God the grace of God. And Aaron himself would have needed that grace, and God tells Aaron, Aaron, speak grace to my people, and don't forget you're one of them. You need my grace too. Aaron, the forgiven priest, is directed to extend the blessing of God to the people of God. God is gracious. Think about the fact that whenever it is that you look to God, the only reason why you look to him is because he has first looked to you. And when we look upon him, we find the delight to see that his face is kind. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. Verse 26, the Lord lift up his countenance. Or that could also be translated, the Lord lift up his face. And the reason why this is such an important blessing here is because amidst the Israelites, all around them were the Canaanites. And their version of religion was that their gods didn't pay attention to them. They had to be roused. They had to be alerted. They had to be awakened. They had to cry out to Baal, Baal, pay attention, because we're crying out to you in prayer. Their God has to be asked to pay attention, and God is saying, no, I'm always watching you. My face is always upon you. I take notice of you. And God is saying, I am the one doing the blessing. Aaron, I will bless the people through you. I will bless them. Aaron, you are just the vehicle of the blessing. And so when the pastor stands up here, or when a ruling elder stands up here, they are not speaking a word on their own behalf. They are speaking God's own word to his people. The pastor, the ruling elder, is the vehicle through which God blesses the people, but it is God who is doing the speaking. It is the function of the ordained office to do the blessing, but God is the blesser. And as we think about this, Make his face to shine upon you, be gracious to you, and lift up his countenance. There is something of an expectation ingrained in here as well. This, this longing sense of the thought of God turning his face toward us is something that we can only see with the eye of faith. But one day we will see that reality with eyes that see the face of Jesus Christ, God looking upon us, we will see this face to face. God takes delight in you. God is pleased with you. God loves you. And the fact of the matter is, sometimes we just need to be assured of that. You are loved by God in Christ, deeply and immovably. Bless you.
be gracious to you. Verse 26, and give you peace. And give you peace. Uh, The word here is um, shalom. In Hebrew tradition, that doesn't just mean the absence of conflict, uh, which I hope your Thanksgiving table was uh, free of conflict, right? It can be dangerous when we gather a lot of people together and different opinions and different thoughts about things, right? It can be conflicting potentially. God blesses his people with peace, not just the absence of conflict, but this word means wholeness and completion, being without deficiency, give you peace. Again, on the tales of Thanksgiving, this is something important to remember. And Aaron is instructed to pronounce these words to the people of God at the close of the temple services, and we still do because God is still blessing his people. God is sending you away with a word of assuring grace and pardoning to say, my blessing goes with you. The benediction is a promise of blessing for the things that God calls you to do, right? And I know how this goes, okay? Because let's say, let's say something has deeply convicted you or the Spirit has laid something upon you and you say to yourself, you know, this week it's going to be different, right? Come Monday, that resolve is often robbed away from you. Or, or maybe you don't even make it out of the church door before Satan is assaulting you with conviction that robs you of the vigor that you said that you were going to have, right? What is the benediction for then? The benediction is to say to you with this closing word from God, you are going with my grace upon you. You can do it. I will strengthen you. I will be with you always. You go with my grace. It is a powerful liturgical moment, not a throwaway element of the service. And this aspect is something that I've come to learn more of. And this is why it's important to understand that it is not in the details here in Numbers chapter 6. But if you were to flip over to Leviticus chapter 9 you would find the instruction that when Aaron is to bless the people, the priest is to lift his hands toward the people. It is the teaching of Scripture, and usually in Jewish tradition, what would happen is that the priest would lift his hands and make the shape of the Hebrew letter Ayin, which is the first part of El Shaddai, the Lord Almighty. He is figuratively representing the name of God, but in Protestant traditions, ministers usually just simply lift their hands toward the people, and this was done again after the sacrifices were made, All the blood has been spilt and the priest comes out to say to the people, it is well. It is well. Peace be upon you and grace and mercy toward you. And it is exactly, go back and look at this later, it is exactly what the Lord Jesus did in Luke 24 as he ascended into heaven. Luke 24 verse 50 says that he led them out as far as Bethany and he lifted up his hands and he blessed them. And while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. The great high priest, as he ascends to heaven, gives to his people a word of benediction, a word of blessing. And the point then for us 
is to realize that in the context of our services, when we receive the benediction, it is to be a word of confidence, a word of peace, a word of joy, a word of promise, a word of hope in the gospel. That unlike the temple sacrifices with their regular animal sacrifices, the sacrifice has been made. Christ has spread his blood once for all time, shed it upon the cross so that we might be forgiven. And so that we as a Christian worshipers might know that when the benediction is pronounced, it is a pronouncement of a reality. The sacrifice has been made and you have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. And you may be interested to know that for all the traditions of Protestant worship services, uh, for all the different ways that people pronounce the benediction, people oftentimes speak of, how should I as a worshiper receive the benediction? And this makes people uncomfortable, but that's okay. Coming out of the Jewish tradition, it was the tradition of temple worship services to receive the benediction with the head bowed as, as a way of saying, I receive, but I'm unworthy. The benediction is pronounced and the head bows. Or in joyful expectation of the blessing yet to come, sometimes people receive the benediction with, with uplifted eyes, thinking of the glory yet to come. Other people still are instructed to receive the benediction with an outstretched hand. As the minister pronounces the benediction with hands wide, the people open up their hands to receive figuratively so. And I realize that in some contexts, figuratively and physically expressive worship is a little bit uncomfortable. But if there is any opportunity to do that in the context of worship, it is at that moment. The blessings of grace are extended to God's people and they receive them with open hands as if to say, yes, and thank you, and amen, and I will go on to live in this way. But we'll just close with, with this thought. Every, every young athlete or every uh, child that performs in some capacity loves to look out into the crowd and see their, their parent, their aunt, their uncle, their grandparent looking down upon them with a smile on their face and satisfaction. Do you think of that, think of that moment, and it is, as, it is as if in the benediction, we, the people of God, are looking up into the heavens and finding the Father's eyes upon us, right? You scan a crowd to find your loved ones, to look upon them, and it's a delight to, to, to match their eyes and see their smile and feel the warmth of their love. And at that moment in the benediction, the Father's eyes are fixed upon you, and he looks at you and he says, I am so proud to call you mine. I'm so proud that you're my daughter. I'm so proud that you're my son. I love you so much, more than I could possibly express. Is what the Father is saying to us as we have been in his presence. Then to go out into the world and live for his name. What a beautiful reality. May it be so. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's sermon. If you would like more information about our church or its ministries, please visit edgingtonepc.org. May God bless and keep you.